Hi. Oh, I just realized we have 2021 on this presentation. There you go. First mistake of 2022. <laughs> hey, everybody, Leah Slaughter, I hope you are doing well. I am excited to talk to you today about the predictions for this year. I've been talking about this webinar for a couple of months now because I love to be the voice against everybody else. And last year I was, and of course, most of what I predicted came true, but we're in a pretty easy market to predict. And so that, that makes it quite uh, unique when doing webinars like this. The interesting thing about this year is there's not a whole lot that I disagree with the experts on. So we're going to talk about what others are saying is going to happen. We're going to hear from one expert, and then I'm going to tell you what I think and what we're seeing and the numbers that are coming out leaving 2021. So first and foremost, let's talk about a couple of the upcoming classes we have, because we've got a very packed class schedule. As of right now, I think we have 19 classes on schedule. And we've got a bunch of experts coming to you, contract changes, all sorts of ways to save on your taxes, and really just the entire investment journey. So definitely keep uh, watching that. So next, we're going to talk about cost segregation. And as I mentioned last class, this class is going to focus on even the small investors. So people who only own one or two properties, looking at how that's going to affect them and how you can even benefit from doing something like cost segregation. So we'll have an expert on it with that, and they're going to look at some specific examples of how it actually affects your taxes owed and your income. Next, we're going to go over the new purchase contract and the changes associated with that. And then we're probably going to talk for just a few minutes about the new flood disclosure that applies to rentals in the state of Texas. Not a big deal. And those of you that are property management clients, I'm going to be sending out an email about that in the next week. But I do want you to be aware that that's out there. And it basically talks about, and we'll cover this more in depth, but if you've ever had flooding on your property, there's now a disclosure requirement to tenants. Now, pretty ridiculous to me that they're making us disclose floods, but not meth exposure, but I don't write the rules. I just like to bring them to you to teach you what you need to know. So as always, you can go to our Facebook and see upcoming events. If you go to Facebook, you click events, you'll see the upcoming event list. You can click end any event to get the registration link, which brings you to the GoToWebinar. As always, you can register for a webinar. If you can't watch it live, you'll receive an email with a link on the back end, or you can go to our website, go to media, watch any of our past webinars. And then in addition, of course, you can go to Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or any of our podcast channels to watch our education series. If you have any suggestions for classes or webinars, I've gotten some great ones from you guys. Uh, one of the fantastic ones I loved that I got was uh, some of the properties that we rehab and how crazy we are in what we do on the side. And so that's gonna be a fun one. We're gonna show you uh, our insane asylum. We'll show you some of our 1890s homes, some of the haunted properties, assuming you believe in that stuff, and just some really fun projects that Michael and I do. For those of you that don't know, Michael and I buy dozens and dozens of properties a year, and our average purchase age is about 1920. So we go anywhere from about 1870 forward. One of the new projects that Michael and I did last week is we actually just bought a historical downtown Plano property, and that is a starting renovation in just a couple of weeks. It's a historic property, and that will be OmniKey's new corporate headquarters. So that'll be one of the projects that we'll give you updates on, let you watch that progress. Very neat building, very just cool location, 
And of course, as soon as we're finished, we'll host an event there so all of you all can see it. So let's get started. Before I begin speaking, I want to make very clear our disclaimer today. As always, we are one tool in your toolbox. My job is to guide you with my best guess and years of experience of knowledge being used to give you the best guidance to help you on your investment journey. We are licensed, we are experienced, but we do not have a crystal ball. Everything that we talk about is our best guess, our best recommendation. And of course, anytime you have a question or we feel you would be suited by a specialist, we will always make that referral. So if someone needs an attorney, we're gonna refer you to an attorney. If you need a CPA, we're gonna refer you to a CPA. We like to stay within our wheelhouse, but we also have vast knowledge of all of those other avenues as well. And so just keep in mind, whenever we're bringing you these classes, that there's no guarantees. Real estate is subject to risk and loss of financial capital, and that's always something that you have to keep in the back of your head. Make sure that you are doing your own due diligence, you're speaking with the people in your life that you trust and that you know can help guide you on your journey. Our job is always to be one part of that guide, and we will, of course, always do our best effort to do well for you and refer you to people who can assist you. Now, this webinar today is 100% guesses, so I want to be crystal clear. There is no crystal ball for what we're about to talk about. Do we expect massive positive things this year? Yes. Are we certain? No. So I want to make sure that we are aware of that going in. Now, the experts that we are citing, they also are giving you their best guesses. No one knows for sure. We watch trends, we listen to the news, we read articles, we follow the financial markets, we follow crypto and stock and so many different things so that we can give you the best guidance we can as it pertains to the real estate market. The one thing that I want you to remember going into what we're about to talk about is that in our opinion, and I'm sure in Daniel's opinion as well, there are no other avenues to make money that are as safe as long-term and as secure, especially in today's climate as real estate. So long as you are in the right market, you have the right partners and you do the right model, that is key. So let's get started. I'm gonna start by telling you what the experts are saying because A, I have a lot of respect for people in the industry and B, I want you to kind of have an idea of what people are thinking before I go into what I'm thinking. So first and foremost, demand from first time buyers is gonna keep the market very competitive, meaning that buyers are still going to continue to struggle to be able to get property. Now, this is a nationwide issue. This is not just in your large markets. We are seeing an inventory loss or negative deficit in so many places. And a little bit later in this webinar, I'm gonna show you why and how we got here so that you understand why my prediction is what it is. So number one, buying, that's not slowing down. Now, is it as crazy as it was 10 months ago exiting out of the main COVID craze? No, but you had a 10 month backlog of buyers. Are we still seeing multiple offers, insane prices, prices over asking, ridiculous contracts with no option periods, appraisal waivers and all sorts of things? Absolutely. Now, one of the big things that's caused the situation that we are in right now is the lack of building. And it's not that they're not trying, it's that it is physically impossible to keep up with the deficit from the last 10 years that got us here. But builders are trying to ramp up production. So they are increasing what we expect about 5% in 2022. But that's what they want to do, right? That's all dependent on availability of materials, availability of labor, availability of lots for reasonable prices, and also where are they buying? 
you know, if you watched my class a couple of weeks ago, one of the things I talked about was the net population loss or barely any gain in the main metro. And yet the suburbs are absolutely booming. Yet if you look at new construction starts, how many of them are in the main city where people are not moving? And so there's this disparagement between where the construction is happening and where the construction is needed. And then you also look at the fact that all of this loss and negative that we've had in the new construction industry has been vastly filled by class A luxury apartments and multi-use developments. And a lot of people think right now that the commercial market is completely crashed and that's just not true, especially not in markets like DFW. And so what we are seeing is a lot of the construction starts that are happening right now are these mixed use developments with townhomes and apartments with commercial or retail on the bottom. And the problem is that doesn't fill the need. People want single family homes. You don't move from California or New York in that high density living and come to DFW to get a big old backyard just to go back into high density living. And certainly not in light of what we've experienced with COVID. And so this new construction and this build deficit is a real problem. And I'm gonna show you some of the statistics on that in a second. Now, the job market is pretty competitive and employers have increased starting pay. I don't know of anyone who's not been affected by this. I can tell you personally, we have increased starting pay massively. Now there's two reasons for that. Well, really probably three reasons for that. One is we can afford to do it. Two is that's what it takes to get quality employees. And three, that's what the market dictates right now. And so we are continuing to see pay rising. And what that means is we have more stability in the market. We have more stability among the people that are renting these properties or buying these properties. But holy moly, is it creating a problem with the number of people competing that can actually qualify? Now that's a big problem that we are seeing right now. Let's keep going. Uh, Bob Penninger, he's president and CEO of the National Apartment Association. He agrees housing affordability is gonna to continue to be the biggest issue. He also thinks that rent control policies are gonna to continue to push to help with affordable housing. Now, things like that we're not seeing here in DFW, but New York, California, the same markets we keep talking about, that's a huge problem. Now, rent control policies can be something as simple as what you can charge in rent, what time of year you can evict someone, whether or not you can evict them at all, whether you can charge a security deposit, these are the types of issues and the types of things that are coming up in the marketplace. I'll remind you that we started offering deposit insurance and a lot of people asked, well, what is Rhino? Where did that come from? And the whole explanation that we talked about was that it came out of the laws coming out of places like New York, where they said that you were being basically restrictive against low-income individuals by charging security deposits. And so you had to offer an alternative that was a monthly pay option. And so those types of policies, they're not landlord friendly most of the time. Luckily, we don't see them here, but a lot of the markets that are already hurting from COVID and the restrictions and the policies and the lack of a business friendly climate, they're also the same ones pushing this rent control agenda. I do think that that's gonna continue in 2022. Now, Daryl is the chief economist for Redfin. If you don't know who Redfin is, they're kind of like a Zillow. They're very large. He thinks 2022 is still gonna be unpredictable. I don't know that I agree with that, but I understand where he's coming from. Now, one thing that he said that I thought was interesting, and that's why I put this in here, is that he thinks that climate change is gonna become a major factor in home buying decisions, especially as natural disasters and extreme weather events continue to increase. Now, I'm gonna take 
kind of the flip side of that. And I'm going to say that I think that rising utility and operation cost is going to be what's going to drive a major factor. And it's going to cause people to start to reconsider these large houses that they were buying in Dallas and, and Texas as a whole. And I think we're going to continue to see the push into the smaller affordable housing market, which we already know generally offers the best return from a rental standpoint. And I think that that is going to be king. I think you're going to see the push back away from these huge houses back into smaller, more manageable homes, especially as natural gas and all of the other maintenance costs of a home is skyrocketing. Just the cost to mow a lawn has gone up significantly. So Carlo is the president of Weikert, major real estate firm. He thinks demand in 2022 is going to continue to be driven by higher wages, embattering employment, and then a rising stock market. Now, I'm going to talk about the stock market in a little bit because I'm not so sure it's going to raise for a little bit, but I do think that there's going to be some volatility there. I also think there's going to be continued volatility in the crypto market. And for those of you that aren't investing in crypto and you don't follow that, even if you're not investing in it, you should be following it. It really is something that is integral into our market right now and especially to those people who drive the investment market. And so no one really knows what it's going to do, but all you have to do is look at what governments are buying crypto and how many people are talking about crypto and their kind of ability to control people's response. And it's just fascinating. If nothing else, it's worth monitoring so that you know what's going on. He agrees lack of inventory is an obstacle. And he also thinks that we don't yet know the long-term impact of the work from home trend. His thought is that because people are working from home, that they may not want to live in the same place where they used to, where their job was. And so people are going to have this trend of moving to where they want to live instead of where they have to work. Now, that's interesting. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as I talk about my thoughts on the work from home trend in just a little bit. Anita Kramer is the senior vice president for the ULI Center for Real Estate Economics and Capital Markets. And what she commented on is that many potential buyers are priced out of markets because prices are rising faster than wages. You remember I just told you that wages went up about 3%? Well, most of our area saw price increases around 20% last year. So even if you have two working individuals and you still look at only a percentage of your income as your housing cost, there's a huge disparagement there. So the cost to live and operate a homestead has gone up significantly and wages just aren't keeping up. Now, DFW is better positioned than all of the other top major markets because we're still so much more affordable. We may be the third or fourth largest metro in the United States, but we're the only one with houses an average price around a quarter million. That's really what sets DFW apart. So that goes back to the stability of the market that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. Now, we're going to hear from an expert that I trust explicitly. For those of you that have been with us a long time, you've heard Daniel before. So Daniel is actually who started writing all of my investment loans back when I first started investing in real estate. He's been in the mortgage industry 21 years. He owns and operates the second largest branch at American Financial Network. And to kind of give you some background on AFN, they fund just over 12 billion annually. They cover 50 states. They have 265 locations, 1,028 experts, and over 100,000 customers. Now, most of you know I don't do conventional financing other than personal homes. So Daniel's not someone I use anymore, but he was an integral part of my investment journey and hundreds of our customers use Daniel. So I know him well, I know his wealth of knowledge well, he's very well-spoken, he's very articulate, and he's very bright. But most importantly, he follows the markets like clockwork. And that's why I want him to give you his thoughts on what he thinks is coming. I should mention he's also an active investor in both short-term and long-term run-of-four unit rentals. 
and he happens to be an OmniKey client too. So thanks so much for being here, Daniel. Hello, thank you for having me. You have Absolutely. to forgive my voice a little bit. I get a little bit of a sickness I'm trying to kick right now. He means he's uh, got the vid. <laughs> I, got the, I got the new Omicron or Omicron, whatever it is, on Monday, and I got the antibodies this morning. I already feel 10 times better. I'm just tired. We're just so um, glad you're doing okay, and I appreciate you coming on even though you're under the weather. Yes, no problem. I appreciate you having me. So a couple of things I just want to show everybody, and I, you know, I feel like every time I come on, I'm the sky is falling guy, but these – we, what I've been saying for a long time is, you know, and I argue with people in my office all the time because there's always something out there, always an article out there that's contrary to what's actually happening in the market. <laughs> and if you go to Google and you search interest rates, it's like rates fall again. Uh, click here now to get 1.05% for 40 years. But the problem is, is those people aren't, the people that advertise that stuff aren't people the ones that are going to actually deliver a loan. They just want you to get they just, their lead aggregator, data aggregators. They they want to produce a lead and they want to sell it to somebody like me that can actually deliver some sort of a mortgage. Um, we have been on a significant uptick in rates for uh, quite a while now. And just on Monday, and what's the one I want to show you here. So what you're looking at here is uniform mortgage-backed securities chart. I know a lot of people like to track the bond, the 10-year bond, which they they used to be, they used to run in unison. And whatever reason, everything is just kind of flipped on its head and they don't work that way anymore. So if you're trying to check rates, what you want to look at is the is the 30-year uh, UMBS, Uniform, uniform Mortgage-Backed Securities. I wanted to just kind of draw attention where we are today. If you look at the very far right, we're just over 101. I think today we're at 101.095 or 0.95, somewhere in there. We're literally four points lower than where we were eight months ago, nine months ago. Um, and that is a significant difference in rates. So on in, on Monday, actually, uh, I'm, I've lost track of days. What were we at? Today's Thursday. So yesterday, um, the FHFA came out and said, hey, we actually know what's happening with second home mortgages now. These aren't truly second homes. Um, the short-term rental game has exploded. Right. And you can if you're familiar with Texas or if you're in Texas, I'm sure you've heard of Broken Bow or any of the lakes around here. And there's tons of places just like it in Tennessee. you got the mountains over there. People are all looking to replicate the same thing, the short term rental game. Right. They realized, hey, I could get a second home, put 10 percent down and call it a you know, call it a second home, get the better interest rates because the second home up until yesterday um, you got the same interest rates basically that you got as a primary residence. Well, they wisened up to that really fast and said, okay, we're not going to disrupt your pipeline right now, but by April 1, 2022, we are tagging significant fees on top of that. Um, so what you're going to see is they're going in, they're basically mirroring second home pricing to investment property pricing. The good thing is, the investment property is already priced in there. You're already paying the, the fees. You're already paying the, the elevated rates and all that stuff. But what I will say is based on what you're seeing here, your rates just in the last, oh, um, two days, in the last 48 hours, you're looking, if you're putting, well, let me pull it up here. If you're putting 20% 20, 20 down on a, a single family investment property, 
depending on your credit situation, if everything's perfect, your high assets, high credit, all that good stuff, um, assuming best case scenario, you're looking at about a four and a quarter percent on a 20% down loan right now. And that's up. 25%, Daniel, because I know most of our customers have gone to 25 because of the rate benefit. Yep, 25% today is at 3875. And if I had to bet, you'll be over four next week. So I don't know if you're floating um, or where, if you're, if you're out there floating, you need to start having real conversations on how long you can lock, you know, start looking, what does a 50 day lock look like? What does a 60 day lock look like? Because if you're asking me what my opinion is, I wouldn't mess with this market right now at all. And I don't know how many are remember, but the last time we got on here, I think we talked about how they, Fannie Mae came out, they knew HUD said HUD person that was, these are all political appointees. So they get in there and the crazy thing is, is bureaucrats don't know what they're doing and they go in there and they try stuff and don't put it past them to do something against investment properties as well. Just like they did this to second homes yesterday. They already did it to investment properties um, six months ago and then um, squished it. Like it, it went, rates went insane. Um, we were able to, and then that's where we come into play is like, are you a seller or are you a servicer? If you have the ability to service, you can kind of hedge against those inflated uh, inflated uh, fees that they're charging you. But the, the, the issue, oh, and then the next thing is, is at, um, on a duplex right now, 25% down, you're looking at about 4.375, maybe four and a quarter. Uh, and again, and I was just talking to Leah about this before we started this is, Oh, well, Leah, what was it? Um, 2019, just before 2020, um, these investment property rates had ballooned up to five and a half, five, eight, seven, five. Some people were taking sixes. Um, just because At 20% down, there was a period of time I remember where six, six and a quarter was the going right. Yeah. And that was, you're talking two, that's two years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, yeah, I would just say my, my, my biggest thing. So, when you're looking at this chart that's up here right now, red is very bad for rates. Normally, if you see something drop, like, oh, that's good, rates are going down now. On this on this moving average here on the mortgage-backed securities, red is terrible. And this right here, that is just yesterday. So from yesterday, or this is from Tuesday. So from Tuesday, where you see the in about the two and a quarter range to today, where we're just above 100.5 uh, or about 100.95, I guess is where we're at. So that is massive movement that you never like to see. And the problem with that is, once you start seeing these candlesticks like this, and they're drop, drop, drop like that, we're gonna see we're gonna see it go even lower. Rates are gonna get worse. So, if you can lock, I would lock. We are in a we are in a rising rate environment. There's just no way around it. Don't be afraid of it. I, um, you know, the funny thing is, is I have a lot of clients that wanted to refinance. There's maybe some people on this call. They had this they have a number set in their head, like, oh, if I can't get 3.5, I don't want to do it. Like, yeah, but you can get 3.625, and that's an $11 difference in your payment. Don't, you need to make sure you don't get stuck on a rate as the number on the rate as a number. Just look at the overall picture and take what's available. Otherwise, you'll be kicking yourself going, dang, I hope they come back down to even that, what he offered me the first time. Because those rates can literally, if I, I could quote you right now, I could, what I just told you could be gone and within 30 minutes. That's just how fast it moves. So um, I'm going to take yeah. just a second and explain the short-term market and what's happening in the second home market, because I, 
I don't talk about this a lot. And even though I do it for personal property, I don't believe in it as an investment model. And Daniel, you and I are not quite in line with this, but yeah. let me just run down this rabbit hole for a second. So what most people do, especially wealthy people, is we buy a second home. And that second home could be anywhere that's an hour or more generally from where you live. And so like I personally have two $2 million second homes and we use them extensively. But what happened 10, 15 years ago is when you had a second home and you didn't use them, it sat vacant. Right. Well, what happened is VRBO and Airbnb blew up. There became a marketplace to easily rent these out. And for people like me, self-manage them where you're not paying the ridiculous short-term management rates, which are typically like 18 to 40% of gross revenue. It's ridiculous. And we were able to, for small bookings throughout the year, easily make money. I think on one of my properties, I made like almost 200 grand last year on one property. And so it's really a no-brainer. But technically, under second home guidelines, as long as you can qualify and cover the debt with the debt to income ratio, and as long as it's an area that's truly a second home, then you can get this second home financing with 10% or 20% down, whatever your preference, and really low rates. I refinanced a second home. Daniel's doing it actually right now, and it's a huge jumbo. And Daniel, what are we at? Like three and a quarter? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous what you can get for a second home. And so people took advantage of this, turned them into investment properties, and the government's getting smart about this now. The servicers, the, the lenders, they're realizing what's going on. And although they knew what was going on all along, now they want to start to penalize it. And that's what you're seeing happen right now. So that's kind of the backstory of why these second homes are being targeted the way that they are. Yeah, Did I miss anything, Daniel? It's really crazy because we actually, this is in our branch last month, we had a gentleman closing on a second home. And before he even closed, and he, to us, he never mentioned he was renting it, wanted to rent it, nothing. It was a lake house, beautiful house, just wanted a second home. Okay, great. Well, we closed the loan. Everything goes good. <laughs> well, when we're, when we close the loan, we're not done for a long time like they can come back up to a year later and say hey what were you guys doing on this loan we get audited all the time it's why the loans that you don't get in trouble for what you're doing today you get in trouble for what you did years ago and that's what i have to teach all my new guys like sure you could probably get this by somebody now but what about two years from now when this gets re-audited so you know i think that also goes to a big point i'll bounce off subject real quick that goes to a big point of why we will never have another meltdown because these files are getting audited non-stop well, after we close this, after we close this guy, we get a, a call from the investor and they go, hey, you close this as in a second home and it's clearly an investment property. We're like, no, what do you, you know, it's no, he, he, we have everything here. He's a second home guy wanted to buy it as a lake house and him and his family, blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, really? Well, here's the, here's a, um, here's a listing for a lease on it uh, that was posted two weeks before you actually closed the loan. The dumb, the ding dong guy went in and posted the property for rent before he even owned it as a, as a nightly home. That's a long-term rental, which does not yeah. qualify as a second home. Yeah. So he, it, it was just a, uh, you know, so they, um, obviously we had to come back and we went back. I actually went back to that guy and said, Hey, look, we had to redraw the deed. 
and he was and there was a price shortage we basically came back and said look we either have to pull this whole thing back call the note due which we had every right to call the note due and say hey you you defrauded us um pay us in full you have 30 days or we foreclose on the property which we don't want to do that right we're not in the business of screwing people over so we gave him a chance to make it right he had to cut he had to cut a sizable check um to cover the difference between second home pricing and and uh, how much he needed to put down and all that we redid everything and fixed it but they, they they've caught everybody so immediately they're they're looking now so these homes if you go in um if you if you try to buy them as a second home and then you post them for rent it's not just the first they're not just looking while you're doing it they're looking as you go because you're saying as for one year this will be my second home or for one year this will be my primary residence but yes that's been a so the short-term rental thing i think is a if you find the right situation it can be a cash cow um, I think the key to the short-term rental thing is large down payments, though, um, because it's otherwise you, you know, if you're, unless you're going to self-manage, it's you, you'll get feed to death and all the taxes and everything else that come along with it are insane. Um, last thing I'll leave you with, well, so what do I think is going to happen to rates? I think we're already the half a point that I was talking about higher. So I think we probably got another quarter point, and and I, I may have even lowballed that. I, I think we'll probably see in the next couple of months at least another half a point increase. And these things can these things do happen really fast. So I mean, I could say it could take months, and it could literally happen tomorrow, which brings me to the don't get caught sleeping at the wheel. Um, these they they mess with stuff nonstop. So even things that aren't broken or things that are actually helping our economy, they'll go in and do things with no rhyme or reason. Um, and it's always about money. Like they came in and they did that refinance uh, adverse market fee of 50 bips that they added in at the beginning of 2021. And <clears throat> so every refinance, we were paying a half a point on, uh, on top of all the other fees. What came out, I don't remember the number. It was insane amount of billions of dollars in profit before they said, okay, we've, we've, we made enough. We'll remove the adverse market fee. And, but in the meantime, everybody else had to pay that fee just for shits and giggles. Someone came in and they put it in there and it is what it was. So just when you have something on your plate, if it's good, take it. Don't be that person that gets caught trying to shop around to save that eighth of a point or that whatever. If you have some whatever it is number that someone, your aunt's uncle's beautician told you, don't take nothing less than a three and a quarter because I saw that on bank rate or whatever. Talk to somebody that actually knows that can actually deliver you the loan uh, and that you trust. You know, if you if it ain't me, I, just find someone that you trust and take maybe take two people's words and look at where they are and find three. If, find one person that you can depend on. Get talk to a couple of people and then just kind of work it from there. But I would just not I would. My biggest uh, thing I can tell you for 2022 is just don't fall asleep at the well and pay very close attention because things will change fast, rates will go up fast, and they could come back down. You got to be ready to pull the trigger if somebody tells you it's time. Yep. And, and one thing that you want to keep in mind is if you're working with direct banks, credit unions, or commercial lenders that do LLC financing, it's not the same. There's not the same rate lock and all of that process. But when you're dealing with Fannie Mae and conventional loans, which is what we're really talking about here, there's a significant, significant risk right now. Now, Daniel, I have two questions for you. Question mm -hmm. number one is, do you think it's possible that the Fed's going to step in and reduce rates? You think no. they're going to change their mind? They've already they've already said they're going to raise rates three times this year. I know. You think it's possible they're going to change their mind? 
So, yeah, <laughs> because they're, I mean, they're idiots. They'll do they they. I wouldn't put anything past them because if my thing is is if you're gonna slow down the housing, first of all, housing is a big deal when it comes to stimulating the market, especially when you're talking about cash out refinances right now. Everybody has a lot of equity, but you know what else everybody also has on their primary residence? They have a really low interest rate. So it's really hard to talk somebody into tapping in that equity that they could use to stimulate the economy when you say, hey, remember when we locked you in like two years ago, 275? Well, all of a sudden you've got about 100K in equity you could tap there, but now your rate's going to be four and a half. Most people look at that and go, ugh, I'll, I'll just not, I'll wait, right? So I think once you start putting the squeeze on refis, which is what they're going to do, so they're effectively – when rates jump like this, you're effective, effectively killing refinances because everybody, for the most part, has a really low rate right now. The only people looking to do anything are cash outs um, or people that pay, you know, people that put 5% down and they're paying private mortgage insurance and now their value has exploded. Now they can get rid of that PMI, but they also might take the same exact rate that they're already at. They're just dropping PMI. So it's, I think that at the end of the day, the government, the way they operate is they have to learn the hard way and they see how bad they're hurting the economy by having rates go up and up and up. Then they come in and say, Oh, Hey, we've got, we're, we're the government. We're going to save you. We're going to give you this special program, low rates for the next two months. Let's go. So that could happen. Yeah. I hope, I hope we'll, it does. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I think that, uh, late term election is going to play a big role here because I think that you're going to see a shift in policies and I'm not, we're not going to get into politics. We're just going to talk about policies and I think we're going to see a shift and I'll talk about that in a minute. My right. last question for you is let the audience understand, and I'm going to let you cover this instead of me, the jumbo market and the uniqueness and how the jumbo market moves relative to this conventional market we are talking about and so, all ease of access to jumbo loans right now. So jumbo is going to become, and this is kind of a, it's funny you bring this up because it's kind of a, it's something that we've been trying to fine tune. And it's one of the harder things to fine tune because you're talking about a subset of like you have underwriters and then you have jumbo underwriters, right? So I'm looking, not only am I looking for a great underwriter, now I'm looking for a great jumbo underwriter. Um, and it's just hard to find. So when you're, we're, and we, what we've started making this transition because once we realized about mid 2021 that we knew that they were going to raise the conventional loan amounts to six something, right? We didn't know exactly what. Well, I thought it was going to be 627. Um, it came out to be 647, 200 is the minimum conventional loan amount now. So that means you can buy like a million dollar property with 5% down if you do a first lien and a second lien. Well, it also means that most you're, you're going to start seeing a lot of jumbo loans come into play. Now, jumbo is all private money. So Fred, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae are called what we call government uh, service enterprises, right? So that means that that's all government-backed money. And it's, there are, you know, in the, during the meltdown, the government came, out, came in and they took over uh, Fannie Mae, right? They put them in conservatorship. Fannie Mae has been ultra profitable for a really long time now, and the government won't give it back to private investors because it's the it's the biggest cash cow there is. 
So, but on the jumbo side, it's all private investors. So they're not, when the markets move, they don't have to have these knee jerk reactions and do all these crazy things. And like, we gotta, we gotta jump this rate. We gotta add this fee. Jumbos doesn't have to adhere to that. So when it comes to rates, they are a little more slow to react both ways. So rates can drop and they just sit there and they're like, we'll see, right? And then rates can go up and they'll, they'll just sit there. Yeah, we'll see. Um, you'll see some slight movement, but you won't see, you usually don't see massive movement like you can see on the, on the uh, conventional side, Freddie and Fannie. Um, I think, so we have jumbo lenders now that actually say, uh, we'll take your, we, all, all we do is, um, all we do is um, we take your Fannie Mae guidelines and as long as you can apply all your Fannie Mae guidelines and you match all those, then we'll accept the file as is. We're not going to put all these crazy overlays in. So Jumbo came in and, you know, to them, cash is king, right? So if you have high assets, you have high credit, you're putting a good amount of money down, it's, you're, you're, you're going to be pretty good to go with them. So they, if you, it's all about down payment with them when it comes to, when it comes to approvals, right? Um, they want to see low LTVs, they want to see high cash reserves, and they want to see stability. And really that's it. I think you're going to see kind of a play into the more of the, on your primary side, most, more stuff's going to go jumbo than, than ever before, just because look where home values have gone and then look how high the conventional loan limit is now. So people are going to start looking at it and the conventional loan interest rates with a second lien mortgage is not going to make sense because the rates are going to be high when the jumbo rates will be lower. Yep. You're going to actually be able to spend a little more and save money at that yep. cusp right between conventional and jumbo. And even when you say high reserves and high down payment, we're still talking like 10%. We're still not talking big money here because jumbo has a completely different set of rules to play by. Right. Yep. Well, yep. I really appreciate it, Daniel. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. You guys have a good week. So let's kind of pick up where he left off and let's talk about this for a minute. So what's going to happen? And I predicted this last year was coming and I'm not surprised it's here. As rates rise and as conventional mortgage rates rise, what happens is non-conventional LLC lending becomes king in the real estate investment world. And so when rates were at 3.5, 3.2, and we had investors getting those kinds of rates, and LLC financing was 4%, 4.2%, there was a big difference. Well, that LLC financing, those direct banks, that credit union, that's relationship lending, and it doesn't move much. And so those rates really haven't changed much. Conventional, on the other hand, has gone up a percent. And so now you've got almost a level playing field between the rates on conventional lending and the rates on LLC lending. And so for those of us who've been using LLC lending all along, we're now one more reason to use it, right? Because we're no longer taking a hit by choosing not to use our 10 doors with Fannie. However, the people who have been using Fannie, now it's time to look at commercial lending because at the end of the day, when rates are this high, it doesn't necessarily benefit you to go into these conventional Fannie Mae loans. Now, I've been real vocal about my thoughts on Fannie and their ability through COVID to tell us what we can and can't do with our Fannie Mae loans. In fact, during COVID, I liquidated every remaining Fannie loan I had left. 
once they said we couldn't evict if we had that type of loan type, I was done. Nobody tells me what to do with my assets. And so that was kind of the end of it for me. And so I think what needs to happen now is every time you're doing an acquisition or you are looking at what to do, you've got to compare your loan types, compare your loan programs, compare all of these different things so that you know what the best option is for your situation. And that is the takeaway from this. Watch the market, watch what's going on, look at the different options. We can help you make some of these decisions to give you guidance, look at the deal. And from there, that's gonna tell you how to proceed. And it could change day to day, week to week. If they continue rising and the rates keep going up, conventional is going to become secondary to the LLC financing market, especially in our subset of the market. Now let's talk about what I'm expecting for Texas and DFWO. We are expecting to see strong appreciation, especially compared to other markets. NAR is expecting this as well. DFW is arguably the strongest market in the United States with diversification, readily available employment, the pay rate relative to cost of living, size of the market, increase in market, employment relocations, there's so many things. Our highway system goes into play, the size of our airport and the growth of the airport goes into play. There's just a lot of reasons why DFW is so incredible. We had the highest, second highest migration in 2020 of all US metros. And last year, I believe we had the highest. We just taught a class about this. If you didn't watch it, go back and watch it. We're expecting home prices to continue to skyrocket. now. Do I think they're gonna skyrocket as much as they did last year on that artificial increase due to lack of inventory? No, I don't think we're gonna see 30% in some areas like we did. Do I think we're gonna see massive appreciation? Yes, hands down, absolutely yes. Statistics are showing Texas might hit 30 million people this year. Prices are not likely to fall. Construction costs are rising, lot values rising. It's very expensive to build. It's very expensive to develop. It's hard, it's long, everything is complicated right now. Is it happening? Absolutely. I went and walked a property in Frisco. Michael and I are closing on 35 acres in McKinney to build a new home for ourselves. And so I was looking at properties and went to go visit this home in Frisco. And it was a big house. It was like 6,900 square feet. And it had a dining room, living room layout I wanted to put eyes on because I was wanting to incorporate something similar into our architectural build. And so we went to go see this house and it was 3.9 something million dollars. And I'm like, oh my goodness, 3.9 million in Frisco, that's ridiculous, right? No land, it has like a quarter acre lot. How is the house even fitting on that lot? So we drive out there, we go get lunch, we drive out there, we walk up to this house through the gate and the whole shebang in this neighborhood, and I'm looking around and you can touch your neighbors. $3.9 million in Texas, Ron in Dallas. Who's crazy? Davis. Is that the Ron Davis home? It is. It is. That's I saw the one you posted earlier with that same dining room kind so of. So that's stuff. the, yeah, that's the exact same floor plan as the one you're talking about. But that house yeah. is on 0.9 acres or point, yeah, 0.9 acres. Do you know the list price on that one yet? It's Jacob's house. I think he's going to go at like three, just under three eight or three nine. It's insane. It's insane. So yeah. I say all this to say our market is crazy. Yeah. for Dallas, right? But you look at the nationwide market and every other competing metro, Chicago, New York, LA, the top three above us, what would that cost there? 12 million, 14 million? 
we are so far behind every other market like us. So there's all these naysayers talking about, oh, well, the market's going to crash or Dallas is going to have to slow down eventually. How? We've got all of these people from these other markets moving here, used to spending this kind of money. They're massively cash heavy. They're bidding up everything, not because they care about value, but because for them, the house is worth so much more than the prices here and there's nothing else to buy. I Leah. literally did a search trying to find six, 7,000 square foot homes to go look at to get a feel. There was like four on the market. It's crazy. Hey, I'm gonna interrupt you one last time because you touched on something earlier that I wanted to, that I also wanted to touch on and then I won't interrupt you. But you talked about the transition to smaller homes and that is 100% um, evident already. Um, you're gonna like because we we have searches set up for all of our clients that are out approved and can't get houses, you know where people are. If you you know these big families are having a really hard time right now because builders aren't even building these five bed bedroom monstrosities anymore. They're building uh, four bedrooms, three baths, and 25 to 2800 square feet, and that's it. Yeah. Um, because it sells instantly and everybody can make that work, right? And they can do them fast. So you're 100% right on that, that it is transitioning. You're not gonna see these little McMansions all over the place anymore. It's going, because number one, everything is so much more expensive. I mean, in these 2,800 square foot houses are still going for 600,000. So you, the, and then when you talk about these luxury homes, there isn't, you're 100% you're right. There's that one video that's out there where it's like, the guy says, I have an apple. We're going to start bidding it a hundred bucks. And they're like, what? It's an apple. And the guy's like 120. And they're like 120. And then the next guy's like 150. He's from California. And he goes, 150? He goes, it's just an apple. He goes, yeah, it's the cheapest apple I've ever seen. <laughs> so <laughs> it's literally everything you're saying is so spot on. It's insane. It's, it's, you're a hundred percent right when it comes to um, with the way, the, the direction that things are heading and how these guys come over here and, we are so far below price per square foot than everywhere else in the nation. This is where I finally kind of goaded me to start buying more stuff here recently was when I started looking, I got a couple of clients from Seattle and I, they, they wanted to refinance their house. And I looked at the property and the, and the value of it. And I was like, Jesus, if this prop, if these properties can do that there, Dallas is going to do this. DFW is going to do the same thing. There's no way that these, we should be exempt from the level of pricing that they have. It's And because the people are moving here, we're not going to be, we're going to see massive price per square foot increases. Yep. hundred percent. No, it's you're, you're a hundred percent right. And at the end of the day, again, we don't have a crystal ball guys, but it's just logic. You know, you have every other market that's our size, that's more expensive to live in. The houses are way more expensive. They have policies that don't allow people to keep as much of their money because all of them have state income taxes. There's a reason that so much commercial shopping and development is happening here. It's because people here have money. We had the mass exodus of employment this last month and the month before. Did you see the statistics? like a record number of people quitting their jobs because they just don't want to work. And it's, again, you've got all of these jobs coming here, moving here, relocating here. They're tech jobs. Look at what just happened in Sherman and Denison with Texas Instruments. I've been telling y'all for four years it was going to happen, and it happened. And the average starting pay for those jobs is 100000 plus in the middle of Sherman. That is the future of DFW.
And the problem is that everyone is so hyper fixated on the city and on Frisco and which really Frisco is kind of now the new heart of the city in a way that they're completely forgetting everything that touches it and everything that touches it is where all the money is to be made. So, okay, I'm off my soapbox. I'm off my soapbox now, but bottom line is prices are going to keep going up. And as long as inventory is so low, the construction cost is still so high and we are still so undervalued, I think it's going to remain very, very high. That's kind of the gist. So let's talk about why. Okay, now this chart tells you the home builds that have been start in the millions starting it before 1900. I want you to look at 2010 to 2019. It's insane. Now, if I were to put a population chart up against this, can you imagine how that would look? We are in such a deficit and a lot of it started in the crash, right? Because you had all these builders go belly up. You had all these guidance lines and the lines of credit and the build lines that they were using to build, they got called due. So most of your box builders that survived took a hiatus or slowed down. Even I knew big box builders that are still around that had their models foreclosed on. I had a client that leased back a model to a builder who went bankrupt in the middle of it. They're back up and around and operating now, but it took them years to recover. So you've got half of a decade where your building just kind of stopped. But then you have the rising prices, the skyrocketing prices, everybody hyper fixating on apartments. There's so many reasons why we are where we are. And what I want you to take away from this is there's no way to fix it now. It's going to take, in my estimation, five to 10 years minimum, minimum. And the problem is there's really no fixing it now because everything is so expensive. The only fix is to build things that people can't afford or that they're not willing to spend. Now let's look at this compared with the age of a house. I want you to look at this. Only one in five homes in the United States was built in the last 20 years, one in five. So when you look at the number of homes built, and I, I mean, it's just incredible, right? And what I don't understand is why people don't see these trends and realize what's coming. Because our population growth has slowed with COVID. There's no doubt. And we're not in many ways replacing ourselves. The American family makeup has changed. We're not even having enough babies to replace ourselves in most of the population. But if you look at growth rates, so the growth rate from 2010 to 2020 and 2020 census, we're just under 10% for the previous decade and we're like seven and a half-ish percent for this one. Look at the percent of homes in the last 20 years that were built. We are not even building enough homes to support population growth. How many of these are aging out and being bulldozed? How many of these homes are uninhabitable? How many of these homes are in the middle of areas where they're going to bulldoze four or five and put it into one lot? And then you have cities like the city of Denison that are coming out and saying now that are full of these houses saying, no, 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 you can't build on these small little lots. You can't split these lots. So a lot of these houses and the developers are buying and wanting to go put four or five houses on it. A lot of these cities are saying no. It's a crisis. And I use that word carefully, but it is. It's a housing crisis because we do not have enough inventory to hold our people 
there is not enough time to fix the problem and you are forcing people into apartments. Now, those of us that are real estate investors, this is phenomenal, it's fantastic, we're all making bukus. But it goes back to the right partnership, the right market, the right model, because you can lose money at something good, right? So it's all about making sure that you are making decisions in your investment model that fit where the current market is. For those of you still investing in New York and California, I cannot wrap my head around it. I can't do it. The volatility alone, it's like playing the stock market. One ruling comes down the next day out of your local governments and you are completely shut down. I cannot wrap my head around it. But hopefully you know your market better than I do. I have this argument with people all the time. What I can tell you is it has blown me away the number of our customers from New York and California and other similar states that are moving here. How many people are selling their businesses? How many people are changing their careers? How many people are leaving their employment because they just don't wanna do it and be in that city anymore? It's a culture right now. There is a complete shift happening in this country and that I believe is going to continue strongly in 2022. So let's talk about kind of the elephant in the room and that's COVID. What do we think is gonna happen with COVID? Number one, I think things are gonna start normalizing. I think that the strains are gonna continue weakening. I think the availability of vaccines and medications to treat or prevent are gonna calm things down. And I also think that people are just kind of over it. The shock is over. And especially in states like Florida and Texas, most of us are kind of like, eh, it is what it is now. And hopefully and thankfully, it's not what it was two years ago or a year and a half ago. We're in a much better position. It's awful, people are dying, people are sick. It's tragic, it's terrible. None of that is negated, but life has to go on. And I think despite what's happening medically and with the hospitals and everything else that our government has kind of just absolved themselves of responsibility here and thinking that they have to protect the economy now. That in the beginning, they had to do the shutdowns, they had to do all these things and they acted proactively and all these things. And now they're looking at everything that's happened and they're like, all right, now we gotta get back to business. At some point, it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right, or it just doesn't matter. What matters is that we have a world to run. We have a, a responsibility to our people to feed them and clothe them and house them and make sure that they have jobs and that they have places they can go and work and can't do that if the country's locked down. So I think that regardless of what happens with COVID and new strains and everything else, I think we're at the tail end of this now because truly our government has no other choice. I think that in terms of the housing and the financial markets, you're gonna to continue to see strong growth in every business climate. So mostly I'm talking about Texas and Florida. We're seeing a lot of positivity coming out of Nevada right now and a few other select states. But in reality, we look at the real strong markets. Texas leads, Florida's number two. Builders are going to try to ramp up their production, but supply issues, the issues with finding proper workers, having people show up, just quarantining alone right now. The reason they dropped that quarantine timeline, if you want my opinion, has nothing to do with COVID weakening, has nothing to do with numbers dropping, has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that we need our workers at work. I took my managers to on the border for lunch in the heart of Plano two days ago. They had one waiter. They had no greeter, they had one cook for the entire restaurant at lunchtime because they can't find workers. Again, our government has no choice. I think our prime season this year is gonna to be to the heights of things that we have never seen. 
What I'm undetermined on and what I can't decide is whether I think we're going to have the largest number of renters moving or the lowest, because in reality, there's just no properties for them to move to. So I truly don't think we're going to have a mass exodus of rental properties, but I do think that it's going to be a very hot market because of so many people moving here. So many people reaching out every day wanting to move, having so much difficulty finding property. And for the tenants that are not extremely well qualified, those B-class tenants instead of the A-plus credit score tenants, they're having a really hard time because they're competing against tons of people moving here that aren't yet ready to commit and buy, but they have to have a place to live, so they're going to rent for a year. Our market's really overwhelming. It's large. There's tons of suburbs. There's tons of people. You really don't know where you want to live, and because of our interconnected highways, you can live and work just about anywhere and still make that commute easy. It's really confusing when you go to move here, figuring out where you want to live, and finding a property that's available, especially if you're looking at something new and nice. I think the stock market's gonna remain volatile. I think we're gonna see ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. I think it's most likely that we're going to see, in the end, it's gonna go back up. I think that crypto is gonna rebound. I think that we're gonna see crypto start to go back up and I think we're gonna see a lot more governments start to accept that crypto is not going anywhere. There's going to be a lot of attempts to regulate it. I don't know how those are going to land. I don't know that they're going to happen this year. I think we may still be a few years away from that because they're still so hyper fixated on COVID and everything that's kind of coming from COVID. But I do think the crypto market is going to be a very big player in new policy that happens over the next five to 10 years. I think the commercial market is going to remain struggling and be almost decimated in certain states, especially those with non-business friendly policies. I think if we start to see states like New York and California try to lock down again, you're going to see a mass exodus to heights that we've never seen. We're already seeing that, right? But I think that if we have one more attempt to control the population, that's it. That's it. Those states will never recover anytime in the near lifetime. And finally, I agree, we're going to see the push for smaller homes at affordability because costs are rising, the costs of maintenance are rising, and they simply can't afford to own and operate them. Now, let's talk about this virtual work from home movement, because there's a lot of people who think this is going to be the new norm. As a business owner, I'm here to tell you, it is not. It is not. This is fleeting. It is not going to continue. In the age of social media, where people are addicted to their phones and addicted to their devices, it is impossible to get the same work product from someone working at home that you get at an office, period. I will argue that to the end with anybody. Do I think that there's going to be businesses that will stay working from home and call centers from home will increase? Absolutely. People that were already working in call centers, that's easy tracking, not high level jobs and positions, absolutely. I think you're gonna see the end of the call center and the beginning of the work from home call center, absolutely. Do I think that the professionals that have been working from home are gonna stay there long-term? Absolutely not. Do I think that employers are gonna make movements back into physical offices? Absolutely. Productivity drops, growth drops, controlling your employees drops, training drops, everything drops. The morale drops, people's mental health. I think that is integral to why this work from home movement is going to change. People need interaction. They need being outdoors. They need other people to be around. And I truly believe the mental health crisis in this country, and that's a whole story for another day that I won't talk about on this class, but I do believe that we are seeing an uptick in that because of people being home. All you have to do is look at the statistics for child abuse right now and what's happening in people's homes. So the bottom line is, I do not think this trend is going to continue. I think it's going to start to taper. And I think 10 years from now, five years from now, we're going to be much closer back to where we started. 
specific to Dallas-Fort Worth, I think more high dollar jobs are gonna continue to enter this market and people quitting or leaving their jobs will continue, especially right now with the high paying jobs and in the fact that most people have a spouse from these new employments coming here that makes good money. Other areas of the country I expect to have an opposite experience. Again, California, New York, Pennsylvania, other similar areas. I want to reiterate, a lot of people made a lot of money in COVID. A lot of people. The news doesn't want to talk about that. It's taboo. No one wants to talk about the businesses that grew and made massive profits in, because of, or around COVID. The sale of businesses that I've seen just among our own customers has been extensive. People have leaned up their businesses. They've been able to secure new employees. They've been able to redefine what it is to have an office. And lots of people have done very well. In addition to that, you had first round of PPP loans that you basically didn't have to qualify for. As long as you kept your business open and operating, you got paid. So the businesses that were already doing well got, in many cases, half a million, a million, big loans, forgiven, forgiven loans, that helped them spur their business. It paid their payroll costs, it paid their office costs. Lots of businesses leaned up their expenses. They decreased operating costs. People moved to virtual. Few work from home employees made it cheaper. And finally, the move to virtual office space did cut costs for a lot of businesses. So there's this misnomer that a lot of people and everybody lost money in COVID. It's just not true. Now, this is where I'm going to end. You're not going to get the red and blue out of me, so nobody ask me what I'm going to say. And this is all I'm going to say as it comes to politics. My prediction is by the end of 2022, you're gonna start to see fiscally conservative policies take over throughout government in most areas at all levels. By 2023, I think you're going to see policies being written that are fully business protective and extremely conservative financially. There's been a lot of loosey-goosey with this country's money the last year, year and a half, almost two years now. Wow, that's really, it's crazy how long it's been, isn't it? I think we're gonna see a change. And it doesn't matter what side you're on. I don't care, politics, I don't care. It's This is all about fiscal spending. And we saw a movement with the state and the house um, that they just, they don't want this frivolous spending. The national debt is a problem. All countries debt is a problem right now. It's not just us, it's everyone. And I am seeing a movement in both parties that this frivolous spending has to stop. And so I think it's gonna be very interesting what happens over the next two years. And I think Texas has led the way in many ways. Florida is leading the way in many ways. And I think we're gonna to start to see the national government smarten up a little bit. And I don't think it matters what happens in midterms. I don't think it matters if we have a red wave or not. I don't think it matters because this is bipartisan. This is everybody. We all want to decrease frivolous spending. We all want these things. And I think that the government is at a point now where they have to start listening. And I think they are. I really think they are. So I'm gonna end it on one note. This is my family. I never put pictures of them. So I wanted to wish everybody a happy new year. So happy new year from us. Thank you for being an OmniKey client. Thank you for being part of the OmniKey family. Thank you for listening to me rant for an hour and enjoying these webinars. And if there's ever anything I can do for you, you ever have any questions, you can always reach out to me or my team. And I look forward to continuing to bring you great classes for the rest of this year. Otherwise, I hope you stay safe. I hope you stay healthy. And I wish you a wonderful, happy, blessed new year. Thank you so much.